Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Hey, I missed last Sunday, and um, it's good to be back, but tell you where I was at. My wife and I had the awesome privilege of traveling together and doing ministry together. And we flew into Burbank, drove down to Malibu, and then up to Thousand Oaks. And uh, I had the privilege of speaking at the Bridge Evangelical Free Church last Sunday morning in their 10 o'clock service. Pastor Mark Brown and uh, Pastor Alex Rivera. Um, Bridge Church is one of our sister churches, and they were having a disability ministry celebration Sunday. And so I got to preach from God's great banquet passage in Luke 14. And then something that I have not got to do yet, I was able to design a workshop on uh, chapter 6 of my dissertation. Uh, Church Health's Best Kept Secret, Inclusive Disability Ministry. Ten findings at three churches that I did a deep dive on. Eight positive findings, two negative. I'm putting them in quotes because they turn out to not be negative. But we had a blast and to pray for our church over there, it's a, it's a revitalization experience. It's a church at one time was up to 1,500. They're about 150 in the Anglo congregation, 100 in the Latino congregation. But man, what a great, great, great spirit. My wife said right before I spoke, um, Jim, this is going to be good. The spirit is wonderful here. So just a loving and great church, and we had a blast. Tell you what, one of the reasons why we were able to do that is because of a deep and growing bench of leaders and teachers. And so people like Pastor Tyler, and um, we have a bench of worship leaders, uh, different leaders each Sunday, but uh, Kenyon Kale, um, director of the board of our elder board, um, he is not a substitute teacher at this point. We're not gonna put him on every month because it would exhaust him, but I'm gonna tell you, Reading the sermon and then hearing feedback all week long about how excellent you did and setting us up for this Sunday. Thank you, Kenyon Kale, for last Sunday. Yeah, this morning we're back into our 33-week sermon series, the Sermon on the Mount. And something really special about last week, this week, and next, next week is we've arrived at the center of the center of the center of the sermon. And, and we're going to discover why that's so important today. That we're in smack dab in the center and how this is different than the rest of the sermon. That in just a moment. But let me just give you the, the flyover. We discover in Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus attracted a very large crowd from all over the region. Quite a distance. Very large crowd. So the scripture records at the beginning of chapter 5 that he sat down and his disciples were gathered to him and he began to teach them. And what we have in Matthew chapter 5 is uh, an eightfold description of every follower, every true follower of Jesus Christ. We call them the Beatitudes. After that eightfold description, we have our mission and impact in the world as salt and light. Then after those two sections, because everything's really clear as you study this, you have a statement by Jesus explaining his relationship to the law of Moses. And in that statement, he says this, that he didn't come to abolish the true law. 
the intent of the law, the spirit of the law. He is the one who gave that law. He's not coming to wipe that out. There are some things that remain that are eternal. They're not tradition. And then he says that, it, that these, not one jot or tittle, will pass away from that law until all is accomplished. And then he says something shocking to the people listening. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will not get to heaven when you die. Unless you have a fundamentally different and better godliness than the most hardcore religious people of the time. And so this was shocking and, and quite terrifying until we understand what he was talking about. He wasn't talking like more extreme. He was talking totally different. And then what he does is uses six corrective illustrations uh, there could have been more. He could have gone into many other areas, but he parks on issues like hatred and anger and lust and adultery and, and keeping your word. Things that the scribes and Pharisees had twisted so that it became quite easy for them to actually have a, a righteousness that uh, adds up. They actually changed, twisted, and tortured these standards that God set out, and he ends that section. There's like, like bookends on these six illustrations um, where he says, a righteousness that exceeds. And at the end of finishing those six illustrations, he makes this statement that you therefore must be perfect, like your heavenly father is perfect. You go, oh my goodness, there it is again. It's got to be better and you got to be perfect. And, and this is, again, shocking, but what the word perfect means here. In the Greek, telos, um, it's complete, it's mature, it's holistic. See, the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees is that they had an image that they were after. They wanted to be seen as awesome. When the reality was that in the quietness of their own imagination, they were wrecked. That didn't matter so much to them. They, they just wanted to be honored. And what we discover is that, that sin has the capacity. We, we think, oh, sin and temptation and my longings, my desires, my lusts. And I've got to stay away from sin. These six illustrations, what we discover is that sin is so deceptive that it will follow us right up to the gates of heaven. And if allowed, it would actually follow us into the gates of heaven. Because Jesus actually says, you got to be telos. He opens up a brand new section, okay? But it's tied to the last section. We think that it's all about murder and anger and lust and adultery. Now he's going to talk about the religious uh, exercise of his followers. Three illustrations, three more. Almsgiving, which is really generosity and serving others with our time and, and treasure, our resources, we talked about that two weeks ago, and last week, Kenyon opened us up in prayer, which is uh, seeking intimacy with our Creator. And then in a couple weeks, we're going to look at fasting, which would re really represent all of our, our interior world spiritual disciplines, things that we would do to actually mortify the flesh and our fleshly desires, making hard decisions when our, our desires are screaming for fulfillment, and we say, no. I'm going to change, I'm going to, this carcass right here with all of its desires better get its act in, in order or I will starve it. That's what fasting is. 
because I love God more than my appetites. But something very unique happens on the second illustration that Kenyon started last Sunday. Something very different than anything else in the sermon. And it just so happens that the way Jesus constructs his sermon, he puts it in the middle of the middle of the middle or the center of the center of the center of the sermon. Prayer. Why does he put this in the center of the center of the center of the sermon? Because at the end of time and eternity, everything boils down to this one thing. Who am I before the throne of God? That there's nothing more important than knowing and nurturing and pressing into an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. Nothing's more important. Every single other thing depends on this. And actually every other teaching in the Bible, every other do that we could figure out to obey, all of it boils down to this one thing in the center of the center of the center of the sermon. Prayer. And that is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. Man is at his highest and greatest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. And so in the second illustration of spiritual exercises and things that we would do, knowing that sin can even pollute those things. And so he's going to explain the righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. He's going to explain a righteousness that is telos, mature and holistic, impacts all of us that we would actually do these good things for the right reasons. And the right reason is this, an audience of one. To know him, to press into intimacy with him. This is not a, a religious imaging um, or show-off zone. This is like the real me loves him and wants him and wants to walk with and know him. Takes us far beyond the realm of traditions and religion and its intimacy with the creator himself. That's what we should be after. That's what Jesus was all about, to show us the Father. And so we get to this arena of prayer and he hits pause. And he goes, we're not moving on yet. I want to tell you how not to do it. Don't do it as the hypocrites. They did it for image. Kenyon, thank you for explaining that. They did it for the honor. And then he goes on to a second group of people, the Gentiles. They worship pagan deities like Artemis or Diana. Great is Diana, goddess of the, the Ephesians. We, we read in Acts, and they say it over and over and over again, and whip themselves into a frenzy, thinking that by their many words, I was thinking about the prophets of Baal, uh, another pagan deity of the Old Testament. They're, they're crying out day, and they're slashing themselves, trying to get his attention. This is what the Gentiles do. Begging God as if he's not listening. Saying stuff over and over and over and over and over again, using fancy, formulaic prayers, trying to get his attention. And Jesus goes, don't do that. You've got a flawed understanding of you and God. So after he says what not to do, he says, do it like this. And that's our text for today. Matthew chapter 6, 
And we're just going to look at the first part, the first section of what's come to be known as, quote, the Lord's Prayer. It's better the disciples' prayer. The reason is because there's parts of the Lord's Prayer that he never had to pray. He never had to ask for the forgiveness of sins. It's not his prayer. It's our prayer. He's teaching us how to pray. And so we read the disciples' prayer. Pray then like this. Like. For real quick note. If you recite this as liturgy, good. But don't think you've done it. Just because you memorized it and said it, or even said it in church, doesn't mean you actually prayed. The reason why it's good is because you can't go from there and begin to pray like this. So you need to know what becomes is it's, it's a template. It's a model. It's a rubric. It's like a skeleton that once we understand and, and know the parts of it, then no matter where we're at, we can riff off of it and add the muscle and sinew to the skeleton of what Jesus said. Here are some things to pray, and, and I would add, and in this order. So he says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So right here in the center of the center of the center of the sermon, he says, pray like this, and I want you to see something. He begins with teaching us to pray for an audience of one, God-centered prayer. God-centered prayer. Listen, I've, I've seen it over and over and over again in my life. I've seen it in, in uh, the lives of my, my friends, my relatives, my family, elders, staff. Is it a North American thing? Is it an anxiety thing? I don't know. But even if you say, hey, we're not going to ask for anything. We're just going to stop and we're going to pray God-centered things. We're going to make much of God. We're going to worship God, but not with a song. We're going to do it with our own words. And I'm saying, like, this is, I'm sure God's not like, dang, they did it wrong again. He's not upset. But I'm wondering what's lost when so many of us, and the best and the brightest and the most theologically trained, it's almost like we gloss over, dear God, thank you for this day. We don't even think about it, and then we go, please, 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 please. And help, 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 help. Even if it's not for them, it's for the people on the list. Dear God, thank you for this day. Done? Now, God, I need this stuff. They need this stuff. Please fix this stuff. And we really don't have this down yet. But what is lost when we don't pray like this? What is lost? Why does Jesus lay out God-centered prayers first? Well, legend has it, there was a man walking through the deserts of Nevada. He was lost. He was dying for a drink of water. He stumbled on an old shack. Run down, weather-worn, no windows, no roof. And he went and he found some shade behind the shack. Desperately thirsty. When he looked up and saw about 15 feet away, a rusty old pump. So he jumped up and he ran over to the pump and he began to pump the handle. And nothing came out. Discouraged, he went back and he sat 
at the shack and he looked over to his right and he noticed a jug of water. Picked it up and sure enough, there's water in there. Opened it, sniffed it. It's water, not gasoline or oil or something else. And he wanted to drink it and he read a note on it. And the note said, you have to prime the pump with all the water in this jug, my friend. P.S. Be sure to fill the jug up again before you leave. Now he's faced with a dilemma. Drink all the water and he can live. But if he pours all the water into the, the pump, as the note said, he's risking something. Maybe, just maybe it would yield fresh, clean, cool, well water. So he studied the possibility of both options. What should he do? Pour it in? Take the risk? Get all the water that he would ever want and more? Or cut his losses? Uh, hedge his bets and pound the water. Well, reluctantly, he began to pour all the water into the pump. Then he grabbed the handle and he began to pump, 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 squeak, 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 and nothing came out. So he kept going harder, pump, 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 squeak, 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 and then a trickle. He kept going, pump, 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 squeak, 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 and then a little bit more until water was literally gushing out of this old, rusty pump. Eagerly, he filled the jug and drank from it. He filled it another time and drank some more until he was literally just, just filled up to full and overflowing. And then he filled up the jug for the next traveler, topped it off, popped the cork back in, added a note, believe me, it really works. You have to give it all away before you can get anything back. And this is what I believe the picture is with God-centered prayer. If you want to say worship, adoration, praise, thanksgiving, yes, that's all in there. And that you camp out there and you go, but I have nothing. And sometimes you go, but I'm dirty. I'm filled with shame. I need to confess and repent of my sins first. And that's great and fine. And I'm sure God is not angry at that. But listen, the way Jesus says to do it is even with guilt and shame and needing to confess and repent. Don't start there. Come with your old jug of whatever it is that you have and pour it into the pump. I know you're taking a risk, but, but what if I don't get a chance to ask my request and he dies? Because I'm so busy worshiping. Quick, beg God for life. Listen, it's just not how it works. It's almost as if time stands still when you begin to pour yourself out in God-centered prayer. And I'm telling you the truth, when you do that first, when you feast on the attributes and glory of God, when you focus your prayers on the ultimate things of God, and you begin to work it, what you will find is that the rest will flow. So bottom line for today, when we begin with and center on God, the rest will flow. Oh, church, if there's anything that I could give you as a pastor's heart, any tool that I could get any one of you and all of us all at once, is that we be a church that first and foremost prays God-centered prayers, not anxiety-driven, temporal, needs-based prayers. Big, strategic, eternal, ultimate prayers. And that we would be delighted and we would never run out of things to say and when the group is open and everyone's quiet but we're praying, you would always have something to add and include. 
that you could always pour yourself out and even lead the group some more in the attributes and goodness and the works of God. And I'm telling you 100% of the time when you focus there, even if you never get to the prayer list, the rest will flow. Couple ways that we see it flow. First off, if these requests are answered that we're reading in verse 9 and 10, the rest of the prayer is null and void. If God's name is hallowed, if his kingdom come, if his will be done, everything else is unnecessary to ask. So let's work on those first. What if the next time we were praying, we never got to finish and get to the prayer list? Because it all came true. It'd be over. Game over. Maranatha. What does it mean? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. No more praying. It'd be done. Here's the second thing that happens. Sometimes my prayer list diminishes or even disappears while I am feasting on the person of God. Things that I thought were important are no longer important. Things making me anxious and nervous are no longer making me anxious and nervous. It's almost like time stands still and I'm in a bubble of the very presence and protection of the Almighty. I'm going to tell you just, just a, I, one encounter. I'm not going to go into detail. Demon-possessed guy. And for whatever reason, thank you, Jesus, I started to just feast on the attributes of God. By the way, the demons did not like that. But they couldn't touch me. Not because I'm great, but because God is great. Time stood still. I was in a bubble of protection talking about the sovereignty and awesomeness and the power and eternality and creative power of God. That even these personalities were, were angels that he created in goodness that rebelled and that he is their master. And one day they will bow the knee to him. And I was in that moment. Now, can you do better than that? Anxiety-driven terror? Whatever it is that you're facing that you're so nervous, instead of jumping to the prayer request, feast on who God is in God-centered prayer. It'll change things, transform us. Sometimes the prayer request actually just takes care of itself as I delight myself in the Lord. And, and I still have the prayer request, but I, it's done. He took care of it while I was... Focusing on him. And the final thing that I'll just say is faith grows when we feast on the character and attributes in a relationship with God. Our faith grows. So all these things that when we begin with and center on God, the rest will flow. Now a few examples or illustrations. You know this pattern is all over the Bible. Throughout Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to fly through six analogies or, or quick illustrations. The Ten Commandments. Start with the first four God-centered commandments. Don't take his name in vain. No false gods or idols. No graven images. God-word things. And then, oh, by the way, societal issues. Stop stealing from your neighbor. Don't take your neighbor's wife and commit adultery, etc., etc. But it starts with the God-centered things. Um, the Great Commandment that riffs off of that. First and foremost, in all three uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? What's the first one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, by the way, there's a second. Like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Same model. 
Start with God. You love God with all you've got, all you are, holistically in telos, as it were. Oh, by the way, don't forget to love your neighbor. But what you see, if I'll do this well, this one will flow. And then we have prayer after prayer after prayer. Many that were prayed in crisis moments of high anxiety. A few examples is, is Jacob when Esau is coming to kill him. Remember that? He's crossing the Jabbok River. And it says in Genesis 32, look where he begins his prayer instead of jumping like, oh, please save me. Oh, dear God, please make Esau be nice to me. Instead, Jacob said, oh, God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, oh, Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. And then he says to God, I'm not worthy of the least of all these deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. So it's one of the earliest ones, Jacob, who is renamed after this Israel. But instead of begging God for mercy, he starts to think about who God is in the context of history, in the context of his life, and his attributes, loving kindness and mercy, and he feasts on the character and nature of God before he begs for his life. Okay, there's the pattern. Um, King Hezekiah, 2 Kings 19. When Sennacherib, the king of Syria, is threatening to invade and writes him a letter and he spreads it out on the table and like they're dead meat. This is terrible. High stress, high anxiety, mutually assured destruction. Oh no, oh no, Putin's going to push the button. We need to pray that he doesn't. This is where Hezekiah begins. O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. See the pattern? Oh, he goes on to pray for more things, but he, not after, until he prays the most important things. The center of the center of the center things. Another one, Jehoshaphat. Similar situation, the Second Chronicles 20. And he's being threatened. Again, Israel is being threatened. Ju Judah is being threatened. And they need deliverance. And same as Hezekiah. O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hands are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to these descendants of Abraham, your friend? So it's God-centered prayer, beginning there, and then just one more. Daniel's prayer for mercy in Daniel chapter 9. Again, awesome and terrible prophecies for the future, and he's alarmed, he's disturbed. But he begins here, O oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. They begin with the main thing, God-centered prayer. They park it there. They feast on the attributes in, in character and in fulfillment of his promises. And they just park it there in praise and adoration and in, in worship and thanksgiving. So do your own inventory. Last time you prayed, how much time did you spend just feasting on and reminding yourself in prayer of who God is and all that he's done in our lives. Martin Lloyd-Jones again says, before we begin to think of ourselves and our own needs, even before our concern for others, we must start with this great concern about God and his honor and his glory. So that's the why. 
That's the why. You got the pictures throughout history. You got the, the consequences when we don't. Let me give you a few things, little insights on how to unpack this, put some meat on the bones. And here's your first subpoint. fill in the blank. Begin with this. Anchor into his character and relationship. I didn't have a, a better way to say that, but let me tell you what I mean. Um, his attributes that you know to be true according to the scripture, even if you are, are hoping they're true because you're struggling with doubt. Feast upon and focus in on what you know the scripture reveals as true about the character of God. But then not just those theology things, the relationship. Our relationship to him. That's why it's written, our father in heaven. Oh, that's rich. And to actually get those parts and pieces down makes all the difference. A couple things in that one phrase. Did you notice? It's first person plural. Our Father. That even when you're praying alone, it is better to remember that you're a part of an entire family and kingdom. That you're not alone even in this world's realm. You belong to a family that's been gathered up from people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And together, we have a heavenly father. Just a quick note on that. Wilmon and Hauerwas say, this is just a great quote that I think is so important for many reasons, could be a whole sermon. It's something going on in the culture that's really icky and people detaching. They call themselves free-range organic Christians or post-congregational. Ah, I used to go to church. Now I just hop around, but they're never really committed anywhere. But Willimon and Hawarah say there may be religions that come to you through quiet walks in the woods or by sitting quietly in the library with a book or rummaging around in the recesses of your psyche. Christianity is not one of them. Christianity is inherently communal. A matter of life in the body, the church. Jesus did not call isolated individuals to follow him. He called groups of individuals. And yes, there is a thing called individualism, and I need to decide. Um, yes, I will follow Christ even if no one else goes with me. That's a great thought and a great commitment. But it's never true. You're never going to be the only one. Our Father. So even in your prayer closet alone, to remember that you belong to a tribe called the Church of Jesus Christ. The second word in there is Father, and for some that could be a trigger. You go, oh, please, let's change the metaphor. Mom was a great woman. Dad was an abusive jerk. And to that I say, I'm so sorry. That's why he is your Father in heaven. Not like your earthly father. If you had a great earthly father, praise Jesus. He's better than that. Why father? Because a good father is more anxious to meet your needs than you are anxious to even ask them. Not a good thought. He wants your best more than you want your best. You're willing to trade out for a counterfeit. So am I. I'll take the easy route. And he goes, I want something better. He is that good. Our Father. 
And by the way, he's the one in heaven. Not only is he better than your earthly father, he is vastly more powerful. In heaven connects us to the infinities of God. You know what the infinities of God are? They are, are the, uh, immutable, they don't change. Incommunicable, meaning he cannot share these. Attributes of God, things like omnipotence, omnipresence, all-knowing, omnisapient. You know what that word is? All-wise. Not only does he know everything, he knows the best course of action. And that when he is your father who is in heaven, this connects desire with ability. Man, that's enough right there that, that we go to prayer and he says, Our Father in heaven. And maybe you don't even get farther than that. In fact, there's, there's a chance I'm jumping way to the end. I'm, gonna, I'm just taking it out and moving it. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, I suggest that if you can say from your heart, whatever your condition, my Father, in a sense, your prayer is already answered. Isn't that good? If you can actually just pray the first part from the heart, in a sense, your prayer is already answered. So we begin there with anchoring into his char character and relationship. But I want to show you the next second half of that verse and the first half of the next verse. It's really unfortunate where the monks put the, the breaks in the verse breaks and the punctuation marks. I don't think they're accurate. I don't often say that. I'm not smarter than all of them. I'm just saying I think this one get, got butchered in our English translation and where the monks put the, the breaks in the actual verses because that was not Holy Spirit inspired. Um, but let me read what it is. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, the fill in the blank is that after anchoring into the character and relationship major on ultimate and eternal things. We're still God-centered. We're going to start to ask for some things, but they're God-centered things. And what we have here in, in my past, I've seen these as three separate requests. And then on earth as in heaven, got attached to only one of them. That's not how this works structurally. What we have is a threefold, nuanced, um, layered request for the same thing. It's a Trinitarian, threefold, layered, and nuanced request for ultimate things and eternal things, for big things, for strategic things. Here they are. First off, request number one in this, this ball of beautiful requests, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It means set apart, and it's not like we're praying that it would actually be true, like his name is not set apart. What it is is a prayer that, that every single creature in God's universe would see God for who he truly is. That his very name in, in the Hebrew mindset, they didn't just name things and people for the way they sound. Oh, John sounds cute. I like the ring of that. James John, that's my name. Um, James John Roden, that sounds cool. That guy sounds 
really smart, and he sounds like he's about six foot two and handsome, and, and maybe he could even preach once in a while a, a good sermon. That's not how they did it. They would look at the character and nature and then a, supply language describing that person. And so when we, we look at the name of the Lord being seen as holy, we're talking about the very character and nature of God. One of the ways you can do that is as seen through his names given by the Hebrew people. And then even by Greek-speaking people. Uh, our English is quite flat. God. People get upset when you say, oh my God. Oh, don't take his name in vain. Guess what? You didn't. I mean, I'm not saying to say, oh my God. And use it as a swear word. I'm just saying, don't think that you quite got there. That's just kind of a Greek word for the deity. But that's not his name. Can I show you a few of his names? And how to, to hallow and lift up and to see his name and his character and his attributes. See him as holy and that this would be universal. His name, Elohim, creator God. Adonai, Lord and Master, El Elyon, God Most High. Yahweh, the self-existent one. By the way, that is his name. Don't mess that one up for sure. El Roy is the God who sees. El Shaddai, the all-sufficient God. Yahweh, Yahira, the Lord will provide. Yahweh, Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Yahweh, Nisi, the Lord, our banner. We gather around this banner named the Lord. El Juana, the Lord whose name is Jealous. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Yahweh Roy, the Lord, my shepherd. Yahweh Tzikwena, the Lord, our righteousness. Hallowed be your name. May the earth come to know you in the, full, in the fullness of all these names. Every creature under, under the sun. May your name be lifted up. Here's the second one. Your kingdom come. We read this in, in uh, Acts chapter 1 and Acts 28. Especially Acts 1. You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus will return in like manner. What is every single child of God waiting for? The return of the King. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus the Christ. To return in like manner. John said in Revelation 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there was loud voices in the heavens saying, so this is yet future, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This will be the fulfillment of Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 40 and Old Testament prophets. We have all been waiting for the return of the king. That's what the word Maranatha means, as I already said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. One more. Your will be done. Uh, God is omnisapient. He is all wise. He doesn't just know all possibilities. He has a best course of action. The greatest joy in this lifetime are for those who will take him at his word and follow in his footsteps and trust his lordship. But how much better if everyone did it? You know what kind of world this would be? If his will was done completely. So look at this threefold prayer request. Ready for this? God, I want you to be seen for who you really are, your glory and your honor, your majesty. God, I want you to come physically 
Jesus, come quickly and reign. And that will be the time and place where everyone does the most godly and wise and joyful and healthy and good and flourishing course of action. Your will will be done. And then watch this. These, I'm, so I'm actually, you, you really can't do this in the Greek. You can't do the other translation. But this, I believe in the structure, is what's called an inclusio. When he says, our Father in heaven. And then you see these in heaven. As on earth, as, as in heaven. Inclusio, the three requests are in between. All three of them. God, these are actually happening in real time right now in your holy throne room. His name is being exalted. His kingdom is reigning. His will is being accomplished perfectly. Please make that so down here. So that we would begin by addressing him and anchoring into his character and his, the relationship we have with him and then anchoring into ultimate things, eternal things, meaningful things, important things, and big things. This is what it means to pray God-centered prayer. And when we begin with and center on God, the rest will flow. Can I give three quick takeaways? First off is this. Do you know him as father? I mean, you, but on the shadow, uh, shadow of a doubt, you know the God, the creator of the universe as father. And don't go telling me because I, I'd like to believe it, but it's not true. We are all God's children. That's not true according to Jesus. In fact, he actually said to some really good people that we're a lot like them too, actually. He said, you are of your father, the devil. Just because you're an American, just because you're a Christian, because you're not Muslim or Buddhist, you got to pick one, doesn't mean you're adopted into his family. Adoption only comes through personal faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Scripture says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we think loaded in there is adoption as sons and daughters. Do you know him as father today? Why not today? Call on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. To know him as father. And in one sense, all the rest of your prayer requests are already answered do you know him as father second thing this week can i challenge you i don't think that we're going to lose a lot of ground if you forget the wish list what if this week you just said lord i'm just going to park it here next week i'm going to get to all the needs i'm thinking about them i'm thinking about all the pain and all the crisis all the controversy i'm thinking about the scary things the desperate i'm thinking about the IRS tax man coming after me. I'm thinking about my, my troubled marriage. I'm thinking about that. But I'm going to park it here. This week, Journey Church, that we would for once just say, we're praying God-centered prayers only as an exercise. Next week, we come back and say, here's four more things that he says, please ask me. But what if this week we just focus God-centered? And then finally, finally, can I just say, so what if he doesn't answer all these God-centered prayers this week? Guess what? Never, never ask for something you're not willing to be the answer to. You're asking for God's name to be hallowed, for his kingdom to come, and his will be done. I can't force it. I can't force his time frame. But guess what? I can do it myself. 
with his presence in me. So I can't make his reign come over Tucson. I can ask for it, but I can absolutely come under his reign. So be the answer. Walk in your own prayer. Let's glorify him this week. Let's come under his full lordship in surrender. And let's follow in his footsteps according to his will. Amen? Father, thank you so much for who you are and your glory is throughout all the universe and all of time and space and beyond. Thank you, our Father, who is in heaven. Thank you for your majesty, your glory, your sovereignty, your power, your ability. Oh, Father, we do cry out together as sons and daughters. We cry out for your name to be holy, for you to be seen for how wonderful that you are. We ask for your, your kingdom to come fully, but in the meantime that we would actually be places where you are reigning as king. And finally, Lord, that your will would be accomplished in and through and around our lives and our church. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And if you agree with that, say amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.